Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello everybody and welcome to Fan of Astronomy. Today's episode is going to be about the rings of Saturn. My name is Angelo and I'm here as always with the Swedish superstar himself, Mr. Don Horning. Hi Angelo. Wow, rings of Saturn, that's interesting. It is. Um, th- see, this is where my uh, fan of astronomy card kind of got pulled because as much as I look through my telescope and, you know, I enjoy astronomy, the rings of Saturn have never really been my thing. I am so fascinated by this ring system. It, yeah. It is unparalleled. It is, but to me it's just a marker that I know I'm looking at Saturn. <laughs> I, I know it seems bad and it's kind of sad, you know, because the rings are one of those things that everybody loves. But to me, it's like, oh, that's pretty. And then I just kind of move on. It was never something that I dove deep into. I was I've probably given more more studying time to series than I have the rings of Saturn, if I'm being real honest with you. <laughs> I, I was the same like you two months ago before I started reading about them. But now I am enthralled by them. It's uh, fascinating, and I'll tell you all about them. Good, because I'll be real honest, until I did the notes and you uh, updated them, some of those gaps I'd never even heard of. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, boy, I better start studying. So I studied up on it, but it's like, uh, yeah, I really don't know everything about this like I do some of the other subjects, and I'm more than willing to admit that, but we will dive into it. So the Rings of Saturn. Yeah. This is a band. It's out of California, right? They do like modern death metal. It's absolutely amazing. And believe it or not, their music actually is inspired by aliens and outer space themes. And they must be very popular because they appear first on YouTube searches before the planet itself. Yeah, um, they do. Uh, <laughs> but 
I, I, that was a little joke. I don't know that we're actually going to uh, dive into the Rings of Saturn, the band. We're going to do the Rings. Rings. No, we will stick with the water particles around the planet. Hey, it's not all water particles. 99.9% water. Well, that, that, which, that's not all. Which makes them very visible as compared to the other giant planets' rings, which are kind of boring compared to these. True. I mean, it's mostly ice particles, and there are there is some rocky material, but it's just traces. Um, yeah. They um, range from sizes of micrometers, the ice particles, and, you know, the I get, well, mostly the ice particles, from micrometers to meters. Yeah, and to tens of meters, and uh, even some moonlets that are really big, but they're all like ice. It's big blocks of ice, almost icebergs, some of them. But their total mass is less than the Antarctic ice cap. So, mm. But they're very, very visible. And I think that's the, the main point to know about them, that they reflect everything. So you see them. True. Uh, Especially the main rings, the uh, B, C, and A ring. Yeah. You know, uh, one thing we do have to explain is uh, the... Planet Saturn is not good at the alphabet. <laughs> no, Planet Saturn really sucks at the alphabet. But we'll cover the rings from the planet outwards. That's how we'll cover Do we know how the rings were made? Actually, no one knows. And we <gasps> don't even know the age of the rings. There are two major calculations that the rings will be gone in 300 million years or 100 million years, which sort of implies that they are fairly young and don't date from the beginning of the solar system. But maybe they were just a lot more massive at the beginning of the solar system. So they have lost mass, and we know that they're losing mass. But maybe they have been around since the beginning, and they well, formed that's a That's a hell of a range that they give you. Yeah, yes. It could be 100 million years, or it could be 300 million years. Or it could actually be only 10 million years old. So 10 million years to over 4 billion years old. So we don't know a lot of them. But I think it's telling that they are, the, all the big rings are within the Roche limit. So Saturn would tear a, moon, a big moon apart within this limit. And they kind of look like a moon torn apart, don't they? It does look eerily similar to the some of the uh, animations I've seen of how our moon was made. Yeah. How it initially looked like we had this huge ring around it, and it just slowly coalesced into Luna. Um, it's very strange. Uh, I do think it's funny, though, the range before it gets around. That's like me saying, hey, Dan, you can hit the lottery if you play a number between 0 and 9,999. <laughs> okay? You'll hit the lottery every time if you play a number in between that as long as it's the right one. I mean, that's a hell of a range. It could be 10 million years. It could be 300 million years. That's awkward. Uh, so what's the first ring? Uh, one more thing to know about the rings before oh. we get into detail is that Sorry. they are extremely thin. They normally occupy the space of like two uh, two levels in an apartment house, like two stories. So it's like 20 feet. Yeah, which wow. is strange. So they completely disappear if you look at them head on. So there, there are sometimes when Saturn is aligned with the Earth, they're gone. You can't see them. But then when Saturn, Saturn leans a lot, so Saturn is like 27% leaning to the side. So that means that you often see the rings, but sometimes they just go away. Oh, no. <laughs> okay, let's start close to Saturn. 
there okay. we have the D ring. So the first letter in the alphabet is D if you look at Saturn rings. Yeah, it's just so good at it. Um, it's the innermost ring and it's very faint. We actually didn't find it until Voyager 1. Yeah. Which was what, 1990? Earlier than that, right? 1980. Okay. It's, uh, it's very, very small water particles in the D rings. It's hard to see. And it's also changing. When Cassini arrived in 2005, it discovered that parts of the D-ring have moved like 200 kilometers closer to Saturn. Oh my, it's getting sucked in. Yeah, and it's also very uninteresting because it is so faint. So uh, we're so going to lose D. Uh, yeah, probably, maybe that doesn't happen before all the rings are gone. I don't know. It's like, th- there are no numbers here. I mean, boy, the alphabet will be really messed up when it loses D. Okay. There's so many jokes I can make about this, but I want it to be family friendly. (laughs) The alphabet continues with C. And the C ring is one of the main rings. This is a five meter thick, and it has much bigger ice blocks. So this is the ring you really see, but it's not as massive as the B ring or the A ring. So you can see C. Yes, you can see C. Um, This was discovered in 1850 uh, by William and... George Bard, George and it Bard. was actually at one time called the crepe ring because it appears to be darker. It, appear, it appeared to uh, LaSalle to be slightly darker than the other rings. I don't know if that was – it, it, I think it was just his telescope. Or maybe there's uh, as there's more mass in the B ring and A ring, it is more visible. That's fair, actually. So it's an optical illusion. I think that the weirdest thing that goes on in the searing is that Titan is, the moon, Titan, has an orbital resonance with a small part of the searing. So there's a Titan ringlet within the searing, within the Colombo gap in the searing. And the Colombo gap lies uh, on the inner side of the searing. Oh, that's true. 77,883 kilometers of Saturn. And that sounds a lot, but it's really close to Saturn. Yeah, that is. I mean... If you that's, compare it to, for example, the distance between the Earth and the Moon, it's like one-fifth. Ooh, that's close. Wow. So it's, <laughs> it's highly visible. Uh, but I, I was going to leave the C-ring here and move on to the biggest and the best Wait, ring. wait, 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 wait. We're not going to talk about the Maxwell Gap? What do you want to say about the Maxwell Gap? It's just another gap within the C-ring. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. And there's a ringlet in there as well. Um, yeah. I mean, that, there's not much more to say about it. Uh, this is part of the reason why the rings never amazed me. Because it's just like ring hole, ring hole, ring hole, ring hole, ring hole. Some moons oh, in there. Wait until the C, uh, wait until the A ring. <laughs> okay, but we're not on the happen. A yet. But the B ring is the biggest one. It's enormous. It also has like some weird vertical structures at the outer edge that are a lot thicker than the rest of the ring. It can be 2.5 kilometers high. Right. So they cast big shadows on the rings if the sun is in the right position. Yeah, it looks like a bad record around there. <laughs> yeah. Like like if you take mountains. an old vinyl record and turn it on its side, you'll notice the areas that you played a lot. And it has like a shadow on it that almost looks like a continued uh, scratch mark in your record. Yeah. <laughs> okay. If we leave the B-ring... We move into the Cassini whoa, whoa, division. Whoa, 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 Are you you want to say something more about the B-ring? There's stuff about the B-ring that you didn't bring up. The uh, the seasonal phenomenon known as the spokes. All right. Tell me about the spokes. Okay. So the spokes 
this happens like every 25 years or so. There are what appears to be spokes in the B ring where it just, this is where your, uh, 0.1% of other material kind of coalesces and you get these dark lines within the B ring and it looks like spokes. Uh, like what, you'd what have does on your the, What does the word spokes mean? I'm not really sure. Here, when we talk about spokes, they're things on the inside of tires. Okay, so it's like uh, little lines, black uh, spots. Yeah, black black lines that go from you know one end of the ring to the other end of the ring. Really, I mean, kind of neat. Um, there's also a moonlit that was discovered within the B ring, which is you know strange because there isn't many moons or anything in the B ring, which is S two thousand nine S one. It's so small. It is tiny. 400 meters. That's 1,300 feet to us American people. And surely there are more moonlets. Maybe that is gigantic for a moonlet in the beer. Maybe. I mean, well, again, like I said before, we have to define what a moon is because we could say that Saturn has 12 billion moons. I wonder what the formal definition is there, but I think yes, as soon as something is in the rings and it's less than one kilometer, it's a moonlet. But Fair. There, uh, I, there must be like uh, disorganized moons further out that are as small. Yeah, I would think. I mean, it's weird because we often find, you know, things that about the size of a basketball. And we question, is that the Earth's second moon? And it's like, if you go into the uh, rings of Saturn, you're going to find those all the time. Hey, IAU, we need a definition of a moon. We do. I mean, I'm, I, maybe I just don't know it. Maybe because there's a ring system, they say, eh, it's different. But <laughs> I would like to know what the, you know, what it is. How, how do I determine the difference between ring material and a moon? Yes. What is the like size different? I would really like to know that. I don't, I'm sure I can scour the internet for days and find it, but I, I just, I don't know. But we know which moon causes the B-ring to end, because that is my mass. And my mass is a lot, uh, Mimas. What, how did we pronounce it last time? Mimas. Uh, Mimas. Ah. Mimas is a lot farther out, but it has an orbital resonance with the inner edge of the Cassini division, which ends the B-ring. So the Cassini division is the area between the B-ring and the A-ring. It's also the most visible division in the rings. So visible it was discovered by Cassini. Himself? Not, yes, not the thing we send into space. The actual guy in 1675. Yeah, hanging around in Paris, eating baguettes, drinking red wine, discovering the Cassini division. He used a 20-foot <laughs> telescope to discover that. Can you imagine having a 20-foot telescope in the 1600s? Yeah, that's uh, that's uh, the leading edge of science for the 1670s. Yeah, and it's probably about as good as the type that we can go to our local superstore. Like, we have Walmart here in America. I don't know what you have over in Sweden. And buy one of those little four-footers. That was probably about the same strength. How big is your telescope? Mine is about uh, four and a half feet. Okay, so yours is probably better than Cassini's. Um, yeah, it has a 12-inch uh, opening on one end. 12-inch right. uh, lens on the front, you know, and obviously it goes down into a tiny one because uh, that's how telescopes work. But <laughs> yeah, <you laughs> And I have a Cassini. few different lenses. All right. Uh, I don't have a lot of things to say about Cassini Division because now I want to get to the A-ring. We're not going to talk about the other gap. The Huygens gap. Yeah, this is another one on the other side of Mimas. Yeah, it's like... Okay, we can okay. move on then. Move on to the A-ring. It's the outermost of the large bright rings. It's bounded, bounded by, 
were bounded by the Cassini division on the inside. And then we have the small moon Atlas ending the A-ring on the outside. But yep. the A-ring has a couple of interesting gaps. This is still a huge ring. It's very visible. It's not as big as the B-ring, but almost. Almost. Uh, the gaps are the Enkney gap and the Keeler gap. Those are the two that I knew of before we started really diving into all this. <laughs> yeah, those are the cool gaps because they are cleared by moons that are mm-hmm. traveling in the gaps. Right. We have a uh, pan, which is just a small moon. That is the one that clears out the uh, Ekne gap. I always have a hard time pronouncing that correctly. Have you looked at pan? Have I looked it up? Have you looked at the moon? I've never seen it through my telescope. Uh, You can't see this. It's just 34 kilometers at its widest. But it looks like a ravioli. Like a ravioli. Hey, It looks like a piece of pasta. Well, watch him coming to go. (laughs) (laughs) And the Keeler gap is uh, Daphnis separates. Yeah, Daphnis is a lot smaller. It's only 8 kilometers. It is. But I think the width of the Keeler gap is interesting because the Keeler gap is 42 kilometers wide. It's a marathon race wide. Is that 25.2 miles? Yeah. Huh. So it, I, I find that fascinating as it seems so small compared to the size of Saturn and its rings. So you can actually sort of get an idea of how wide this gap is by comparing it to marathon. Yeah, that is, that has some distance. It's funny because, you know, there's a good picture on, uh, Wikipedia of Daphnis within the gap. And, you know, it creates some waves as... <laughs> it looks it, amazing. It's just this tiny dot in the middle of the sea of black. And then on both sides of the gap, you just see the waves because it's the resonance. As it rips by, it creates waves just in the area that's closest to Daphnis. Yeah, it's, it looks like a small, like, gardener. It's just powers... It rules this Keeler gap and causing these enormous waves in the hearing. And then it's just eight kilometers, a block of ice. Just a block of ice. It can also like move, these waves move up like 1500 meters above the plane of the rings. So, so you wonder, because it does, it definitely has a, for its size, it has a, a remarkable effect on the rings. Yes. And you wonder if maybe it has a core that might be heavier than what we think. Perhaps it does. It looks so malplaced. Why are there no other moons like this? Of course, Pan is like this, but we don't get this in the other gaps. We do not. There are four tiny moonlets in the A-ring as well that cause propeller effects. So they are very visible, but they're only about 100 meters in diameter. So you see them because they make this pattern in the A-ring. And that's the end of the main rings. So we went E, C, B, A. No, we haven't done E yet. (laughs) We did D-C-B-A. D-C-B-A. But now we have to go up in the alphabet. And in the Saturn alphabet, what's the next letter after A? Well, after A, of course, it would only make sense for F to come. Of course it's F. And uh, the main ring, main rings end with the Rose Division, very close to the Rose limit of Saturn. So all the other rings outside of the main rings have, like, other causes than whatever created the main rings. Okay, so we're saying the main rings was one thing that created it, and we believe that the outer ring, the outer rings on the other side of the Roche division is something completely different. Some of them are much easier to understand than the main rings, 
We have, okay, to, we have to pass so. the Roche division and get to the F-Ring. And the F-Ring has two Shepherd Moons, Prometheus and Pandora. And uh, recently we learned that Prometheus is the one causing this, but Pandora looks like it's a Shepherd Moon. The features of the F-Ring... How did you pronounce that? I'm just curious. Prometheus and Pandora. Okay. How so would we, you pronounce I, that? I, I tend to have always been uh, told that it's Prometheus. It probably is in English. <laughs> I, I mean, I know, I just, you know, I, I'm sorry, I'm picking on your language again. <laughs> well, that's a good, long tradition in this podcast. It is, and it will continue. From the <laughs> name of episode one. What did we name episode one? Our yellow star. Ah, yes, that's right. <laughs> uh, the features of the F-ring changes all the time, so it's like the most volatile of the rings. Huh. But this is a ring that is not as massive as as the other rings, so it's faint. And then we sort of ran out of letters, so we get the Janus Epithemius ring, which Epithemius is also ring. a small ring controlled by moons. See, now I have another bad joke. Okay. Epimetheus, that was the husband of Pandora, so he got to play with Pandora's box. Oh, you are such an educated man. I, I mean, it was such an easy bad joke. I had to put <laughs> it in there. Um, yeah, I, I'm just going to... I'm going to go to the corner of the room now. Good. <laughs> we can skip the G-ring, uh, the, the methone ring arc, and the anther ring arc, and the plane ring to get to the E-ring. Finally. The E-ring is enormous, but it has very tiny particles in there spread far out. But this has a very clear course, and we talked about it last time. Do you know where the E-ring comes from? Uh, I know that it's between Mimas and Titan. It's Enceladus. It's the oh, result yeah, of the right. polar jets. That's right. Enceladus shooting out all of its uh, liquid. And this is perhaps what makes Enceladus the best target for space mission to find life. Because here you have samples of Enceladus scattered all around Saturn. So you can just fly around Saturn and gather these samples. That is one mission that they really, I think they need to get onto as quick as possible, grab as much of it as possible, Get as much data as possible because we don't not having to land on a moon to study it is so huge. But the rogue moon Phoebe saw this and wanted to do something similar. Yeah, Phoebe made its own ring too. And it's kind of disorganized is, though. It's a lot bigger than the planet because it's so spread out. But it doesn't seem that Phoebe has an active source for this ring. So Phoebe must have just been whacked very hard. And it's the debris from maybe something that hit Phoebe and Phoebe itself. I mean, that would make sense. You know, just sending out all the uh, material from Phoebe into the sky. Poof. Yeah, and the the ring is moving inwards, but it's extremely slow. So uh, over the age of the solar system, stuff from this ring has reached Iapetus, which is uh, what miscolors Iapetus. And that is another mood, correct? Yes. Okay. I'm sorry, I... I feel like I'm doing nothing in this show because I barely follow the rings. <laughs> but that's it. That's all the rings? Those are the rings. That's a lot of rings. Uh, Rhea possibly has its own ring, which is, you know, one of the moons. We, I think we talked about that last week. We did, and they haven't been able to really confirm this, I think. Yeah, not really. And a moon with a ring, that would be a first. To our knowledge, yes. Yes, not as cool as Titan or Enceladus, even if it has rings. Okay, so we're going to move to the part that I, 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 I kind of control. Uh, I have a piece of news, actually. But uh, do you, Before first. we jump into the news, though, 
I wanted to go over. I didn't put it in the notes, and I should have. Um, the calendar for the upcoming month of September. Yeah. There are a few very interesting things coming on that, you know, we probably should talk about. The Perseid meteor shower on the 9th is it will be at its highest frequency. September 9th? Yes. Um, On September 11th, never forget, Neptune is at opposition, which means that it's about as close as it's going to get to us. But you can't see it with the naked eye, right? It's a very, very, very faint dot in all but the best telescopes. But you can see it. Uh, I doubt you'll see it with the naked eye. Maybe if you're in a very clear area, um, you know, no, no light pollution whatsoever. There's a slight possibility, but if you have a telescope, you can see it, even a cheap one. Uh, but it's going to be extremely faint. Uh, on the 14th, uh, the moon is going to kind of cover up Venus. So if you've been looking at Venus, uh, it's going to kind of cover it up on the 18th. Mercury is going to get covered up by the moon. <laughs> Obviously, a lot of this has to do with whether you're in the northern hemisphere or southern hemisphere, so on and so forth. On the 22nd is the equinox. Of what? It's the equinox. What's the equinox? That's the first day of fall. Oh. So, well, you know, sad. I mean, it's it means the beginning of the end, at least for us northern hemisphere people. It's going to start getting colder again. It is a major astrological astronomical event even though there's really nothing to see it's something that i think we should have at least that deserves us at least bringing up because you know space is what creates it okay on the 29th and obviously you're gonna have to have a really good telescope to see this but maki maki is at solar conjunction asteroids asteroids so that's going to be the month of september the high and low events uh and interesting enough so, Dan has news. I can't wait to hear this, because normally I am the one who goes and searches for the news. I just discovered this, but it's it's um, we have been off the air for a while. It happened in April of 2019. Do you remember the hobbits in the Black Forest of Proxima Centauri B? Yes, I remember the hobbits in the Black Forest. They have rings to look at. No way. But the rings are not around Proxima do you say Proxima Centauri, or do you say Centauri? Centauri, Centauri. Yes. Okay. Centauri, Proxima yeah. Centauri B has a friend. There is another planet confirmed around Proxima Centauri. Sweet. Proxima Centauri is a very small red dwarf star. So this planet is 1.49 AU's out. So it would be like close to the orbit of Mars compared to the Sun. But as the star is so small. It's very, very cold out there. So this is definitely far outside of uh, the habitable zone. But it's a huge planet. It's seven times as massive as the Earth. Wow. And it seems in June 2020, we somebody did a possible direct imaging detection of this planet. Okay. And it's that should not be possible because it's albido. Is that the English word? Albino? Albido. It's... uh, its visibility is okay. Yeah, yeah. It seems to be way too high for a planet of Proxima C dense mass and age. So it seems that this planet has a huge ice-based ring system, just like Saturn. Oh, huh, that is awesome. 
So this doesn't affect the, the hobbits in the Black Forest at all, but uh, maybe they have something nice to look at. It's not that would far. Be cool. It's like it's like us looking at, uh, at Mars, Mars, probably. Yeah, because this yeah. thing is much bigger. So it's uh, uh, it's quite interesting. Do we know the chemical makeup of the planet? Is it g- going to be a gas giant, a uh, ice giant? It's Is either it a, a super surface? Earth or a mini Neptune. It's like okay. in, in the boundary between those two, so we don't know what it's made of. But it's it has seven Earth masses. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. It, you know, could it be a gas giant? Because it's it's right there where it's like, oh, this could be a gaseous planet or uh, it, an it ice could never planet. Be an, uh, it could be an ice giant, ice giant, a very small ice giant. Right. Or, yeah, right. Neptune or a super Earth. Hmm. Interesting. So of course it uh, has a lot more volume if it is an ice giant. But uh, yeah, this is very close and. At times, then, this would be the very closest planet to the solar system as it is further from the star. That we know of. Yes. There might be other planets, but uh, we should be detecting them now, I think. Look, we still think there's a planet in our solar system, and we can't find it. So I'm not going to go out there and say that we can find it. But uh, as as Proxima is so small, I don't think it can hold planets that are... As far out as Planet Nine would be. Yeah, probably not. But I'm just saying, as an example, we haven't found all the planets we believe in our solar system. So there could be something just slightly further out than that that we just haven't seen, hasn't gone in retrograde with Proxima Centauri yet, since we've had our telescopes staring at it. And, you know, who knows, five years from now, something might shoot right past it and we go, oh, my God, there's another one out there. We still don't know if Proxima is actually orbiting uh, Alpha Centauri A and B or not, or if it isn't. Right. And I don't know when we will know that, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, one of these days, right? Yes. Do you have so, any news? I do. Uh, I don't know if you guys realize this, but I'm a bit of a SpaceX uh, fanboy, and I'm not afraid to admit that. So recently, Elon Musk, uh, you know, he decided that he wanted to launch a space shuttle. That was cool. Yeah. And he said, you know what? Let's up our game and let's do a spaceship, like a real spaceship. Okay. You know, not just a little shuttle. No, 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 no. No, we're talking a space ship, huge. Uh, and he actually got this thing off the ground for the first test fire, and it landed successfully. How big? The actual uh, the Starhopper itself. Yeah. Uh, I'm not really sure. I'm looking at the pictures now. Uh, it's referred to as Falcon Heavy, the Starhopper. It's. I love it's the just, name Starhopper. Yeah. So far, the only thing they've actually launched is the booster that is going to lift it. But it is the beginning, and the actual thing is going to have 37 of these. Nice. So this thing is going to be massive. When can but we go? But this is step one. I'm sorry? When can we go on it? I, 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 I ain't going anywhere. I've told you this. I'm staying right here. <laughs> okay, where can I, I go? there's oxygen. When can you go? Uh, who knows? <laughs> Mr. Musk, um, he tends to sit there and say things like, you know, oh, five to ten years for everything. So... Mm. I mean, step one's completed. He got the booster to lift off and reland. Uh, he's just got to get 36 of them to do it at the same time with this one and all work in conjunction. And then you just got to build the structure around it. That would probably be the easy part. Yeah. Uh, it's very, <laughs> it, it, you know, like Falcon nine is completely reusable. As I said, it does land itself. Yeah. 
this is the thing that is going to take the large amount of people to Mars. It's not going to be the Falcons that he's been firing off. It, this is going to be the ship that actually takes people to Mars that he said he was going to do 10 years ago or whatever that was. Uh, whether or not that happens, I don't care. It's more along the lines of this is the type of advancement we need to make if we ever do want to see interstellar travel. Yes. Because nobody else is doing it, so it might as well be them. I love it. <laughs> uh, the other thing. Another part of the news, uh, and this one's kind of, I don't know. NASA went woke. Um, what they're going to do is they, they're changing the names of some things, which for the most part, I don't care about. Uh, right now it's the Eskimo Nebula will no longer be called that. And the Siamese Twins Galaxy will no longer be called that. It'll be NGC 4567 and NGC 4568 moving forward because Siamese twins and Eskimo is not politically correct terms. I see. I don't mind this so much. I think really outside of our own solar system, there's very few things that we can't rename. I mean, even within <laughs> our own planet solar. seven is up for renaming. Yeah. No, we leave that one the same. Okay. Um, <laughs> but you know, I mean, outside of our planets, I mean, even the moons, when was the, I've had exactly zero conversations in my life where somebody referred to our moon by its name. True. Everyone calls it the moon. So we can rename a lot of these things, and I don't think it's a big deal. My worry is how far are they going to push this over time? Um, like the last thing I want to see is black holes get renamed. Yeah. Or, or you know, dark matter or dark or dwarf energy. stars. Right. Dwarf stars, so on and so forth. These are things that's like, okay, so, you know, I understand that, you know, we want to be understanding of everybody's uh Needs and, you know, we don't want no one to feel like they're being ostracized. But at the same time, there are certain terms we've used for so long that we can't change them. <laughs> True. Probably including so, the name of Planet 7. You realize that our next episode will be named Planet 7. Oh, yeah. We are going to talk about Uranus, Dan. And Uranus. Yes, we are. <laughs> now, the last piece of news I have, and this is the most interesting piece of news... If I told you that we found a millennial that's a star, and I'm not talking about Justin Bieber. I'm talking an actual star that's roughly about 33 years old. Wow, where is that? So it is 170,000 light years away from Earth is SN1987A. Is it in the Magellanic Clouds? Um, no, it's just in a satellite galaxy of the Milky Way. Yeah. Uh, to my knowledge, I mean, I've looked over this a few times. I don't remember seeing anything about the Magellanic Clouds. Which um, galaxy? And, uh, I mean, it would be ours, wouldn't it? No, the satellite galaxies all have oh, their own. It name. doesn't say. Okay. It, not in this article that I've pulled up, however. Yeah. Um, so in the large millimeter array in Chile, team of astronomers took a real close look at this thing. And what it was was it was a supernova remnant. Um, from 330 years ago, uh, in Cassiopeia A, okay. about 11,000 light years away from Earth inside of the Milky Way. Okay. This, they found a hot blob inside the core. This hot blob is a neutron star. Yep. Now, when you see, this is the weird thing to me because they say it's 33 years old. How do we know that? Yeah, that's, uh, that's interesting. I told you how many light years away it is. How big is it? It's tiny. But it has the mass of uh, 1.4 times the sun inside of a sphere that is 15 miles. Okay. So it's a, a freshly made neutron star. Yes. 
very freshly made. Interesting. Yeah, 33 years old? I mean, I'm older than this thing. Oh, wait a minute. Is it from the 1987 Supernova? Yes. Ah, the mostly absurd Supernova we've ever noticed. Yes, and there's still a hot blob in the middle. They believe that that is a neutron star. <laughs> nice. Well, th- that thing must be spinning like crazy. Yeah, to think, I mean, the idea that we're going to take 1.7 suns, okay? Sun's pretty big. Yeah. Keeps me warm in the day. Looks fairly large from where I'm standing. And we're going to jam that into 15 miles. Oh, yes. Dude, that thing is dense. It actually is in the in the greater Magellanic Cloud. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I had to dig a little deeper into the article to see that. Five million degrees Celsius is the hypoth- hypothesized temperature. Interesting. We've been looking for a supernova remnant there uh, for, for 33 one. years, and now we found it. Um, I found this article on futurism.com. Uh, in case anybody wants to go look it up for themselves, this is really interesting. Uh, you know, we're actually going to be able to see a neutron star. That actually um, destroys one of my dreams because one of the hypotheses about the 1987 supernova was that it had become a quark star, which would prove the existence of quark stars. But um, no quark star then. Ah, you're gonna have to settle with neutron star. Yeah. I mean, I think that's pretty cool. Oh, we'll talk so much about neutron stars, quark stars, and black holes. In later oh, yeah, episodes. yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to lie. I was actually thinking earlier today, we're only like four episodes out of being out of the solar system, and I cannot wait. <laughs> not because I don't love the solar system, but just being able to not have our show regimen completely locked down, to be able to say, hey – Let's talk about this. Let's really deep dive into this really interesting thing. You know, let's let's talk about the Eskimo Nebula. <laughs> you know what? We could uh, we could quit the solar system after Neptune and then go back to it and talk about the dwarf planets and well, uh, the Oort cloud and stuff, Makamaka and stuff like that later. I think the Kuiper Belt slash Pluto deserves its own episode. Of course it does. And the scattered uh, disk, set the Oort cloud. I don't know if there's enough there to do its own episode, so we'll probably miscellaneous that stuff uh, far out episode. Yeah. Uh, so, but yeah. Planet Nine. We're not. You mean black hole? That's <laughs> black hole softball, man. It's not a planet. <laughs> we'll see about that. <laughs> we will, maybe in our lifetime. With Starhopper, we'll go there and check it out. Yeah, Starhopper will get there. Uh, so, Dan, where can people find you? Well, I am on Twitter and on Instagram. My name is Dan Horning, but there are two dots above the O in my surname, which means that my name is totally unique. There is no one else named as me, so I'm very easy to find. I also do another English podcast that's Fan of History. Uh, We recently uh, released episode 104 of that podcast. We are moving to, we are covering all of world history. Starting in the year 1000 BC, and we are now researching the 640s BC. So we'll probably do that for 200, 300 years. So where would that be in the timeline? Like you're beyond the Sumerians, right? No, the Sumerians are still around. Okay. And yeah, it's uh, the Assyrian Empire is in its glory days, but is soon going to uh, die spectacularly. Okay, so we're in the we're into the Assyrian era. And we've been <laughs> in the Assyrian era for the entire podcast. Okay. So the, it's mainly a podcast about the Assyrian Empire. And 
good Old Testament stuff. Ooh. Yes. Wrath of God type stuff. And I, I currently do 14 podcasts, but I don't receive as much hate for any podcast as I do for Fan of History. Because when you talk about these formative times of human religions, you will get hate. You will. And, yes. I mean, even the academic community isn't completely sold on exactly what happened there. You have people like Graham Hancock out there who throws out crazy wild things, oh, but yes. we don't fully know. So, <laughs> Yes, if you really want to make friends, you can talk about the Aryan invasion of India. That's very popular to talk about. Okay, well, fair enough. Um, anywhere else we can capture you in all no, your that, glory? No, that's it. Where, okay. uh, where can people find you? Um, you can find me on Twitter for the most part. Uh, it's Gonksuo, that's G-A-N-K-S-U-O-U. And you can find me on the Fan of Astronomy Facebook page. I try to post things there, you know, a few times a month. I, I'm constantly scouring the news to find what news we're going to talk about. And sometimes it's a little too close to a show that just passed. So I will post, you know, new news updates on there. And also sometimes, you know, as a little preview of what we're going to talk about, I will throw something up on there. Hey, this is going, we're going to dive deeper, a little bit deeper into this. Uh, Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. It's worth giving it the like and the follow because we do try to post things about outer space out there. And, you know, we are looking forward to getting out of the solar system and talking about the weird stuff. So that's where you can find us. Uh, we will be back in about a month with our next episode, which is going to be about Uranus. I will continue to pronounce it that way because that is the way I was told by, uh, Mr. Lacluze, who some of you will remember from one of our earlier episodes, he's a uh, astrophysicist. Did he we said that's how you say that in the podcast feed. What? Did we actually release that in the podcast feed, or is it only on the YouTube? Oh, okay. So maybe we should release those as bonus episodes. Yeah, absolutely. I thought that was a very good episode. Um, so you'll, if you if you did see it on the uh, YouTube channel, then you know he's the one who told me that that's how you properly should say it. So that's uh, how I'm going to say it. What's his but name? The, 
the three-year-old inside of me is like, I want to call it Uranus. Was it Aaron Lacluse? Yeah, Aaron Lacluse. That is episode five. Yeah, episode five. That's what I thought. You were correct. Um, absolutely go check that one out if you haven't heard it. Uh, he brings a wealth of knowledge that myself or Dan cannot possibly bring Very to true. one of these episodes. I should uh, check the statistics, but that uh, really should be the most popular episode we have done. As I would hope. As somebody who actually knew real science was in it. Yeah, I'm going to have to reach out to him, see if he'll come back on one of these days with us. Please do. I will. Um, so, outside of that, that's going to be our episode for this month. Next month, we'll obviously have another one about Uranus. <laughs> I will not say that name. It's Planet 7. It's Just say Uranus. No. I have to correct myself. Uh, the Yellow Star episode was episode uh, two, but you did make fun of uh, my pronunciation of English in episode one as well. Well, I mean, Cause it's, it's I, not your I native language. Earth. Yeah, it's really not your native language, so it's one of those things oh. that has to be done. If I was speaking Swedish, I would expect you to rag on me constantly. Yeah, that, it would be hard to podcast with you speaking Swedish. It would be very hard to podcast because I don't do it. <laughs> yeah, like what? Yeah, so until next time, though, uh, continue to look up at the stars and remember there's always something neat out there. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.